Hi guys, Stu here. If you could support the podcast by following us wherever you subscribe to your podcast, that would be amazing. If you are enjoying our videos on the YouTube channel, uh, like and subscribe, like the individual videos and subscribe to the channel. Just search for Henry Weston's Old Mate. The continued support helps us to be able to provide more and more content going forward. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Okay, we made it. We're back. Finally, it's Henry Weston's old mate. We've had 10 days of hiatus or probably even a bit more than that because of illness and just kind of uh, schedules not matching up and a bit of bit of downtime. So I'm Phil. I'm the host with Stuart Butler. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, Phil. It has been a while, mate, hasn't it? It has. It's taken me a little while just to get my head in the game to remember what we talked about last time. I had to have a little... Uh, boost boost our viewing figures by watching the uh the previous uh episode just to make sure that i was uh caught up on what happened i think i think it's a current front runner i i don't check the youtube much but i think it just overtook the the first episode got a few views and i think the the episode oh no maybe episode seven and episode eight are both running around sort of 24 25 which may seem low to people but that's 25 people who may have taken something away from it in my view so yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, even just one person, if it just yeah. helps just a little bit. And the audio the audio podcasts are, are still picking up plenty. YouTube's had a little impact on them, but uh, people who choose to listen without seeing our ugly mugs are, are hanging in there as well. No, that's good. Although it's definitely worth tuning in because of the vast array of sports wear that you wear every episode, and it's different. And we've got a white cap, which is yeah. a Canadian team and i'm gonna say calvary it's vancouver yeah it's vancouver white caps uh i think they're, they're an mls franchise based out of canada i guess so, yeah yeah well it must be mls i just picked this one up actually in the adidas sale a couple of years ago but no it was just something i like the look of this has no um i've, I've never visited canada this has no significance to my travels well, annoyingly, I should be in Montreal right now, but um, COVID put pay to that. But then, that is annoying. That is annoying. But there we go. Um, right. Okay. Let's um, let's actually get down to business. First of all, uh, I think we had some uh, some decent response to our pizza oil uh, uh, promotions last week, which were yeah. time round. That was very good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was good. Uh, I I heard from Elliot himself. He he was all up for it. He was thankful for the for the promo. Uh, it really is good stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, support those local businesses. Absolutely. And then, then this week we've got we we have actually got a clamour of people that want to <laughs> want us to advertise their wares. So uh, this week was uh, it made me laugh because it's CBD oil, but it's specific golfers CBD oil. And I don't I play golf once every like ten years, so yeah. I'm not going to get the benefit out of it. Uh, it says like. Take 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 four drops before you first teeing off, and then again at, 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 after hole nine. I was like, well, I, 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 metaphorically, I'm going to have to do that in my head. But yeah, <laughs> but no, no. Actually, I've been using it twice a day, and I, I can already probably a week or so now. But my sleep is much better than it was. I can definitely feel that. Yeah. So let's give them. I I actually it's a little company. Golf. It is just simply golfers CBD. Um, if you find them on the internet, it's just literally at www.golfercbd.co.uk and at, at golfercbd on Twitter. But um, 
Uh, I picked up a tweet. I didn't actually follow them, but I picked up a little tweet, and they were running a 25-person trial of their new CBD oil. I have used CBD oil in the past, and I, I try to keep a little stock when the funds allow. Uh, so I reached out, and a man called Andrew Dixon got back in touch with me and said, because uh, I'd written to him explaining that I was a greenkeeper as opposed to a golfer, and he said he would happily, or, or they would happily include me in their little trial. So he sent me a couple of vials, would you call them, bottles maybe? And, and we sent one up one up and over to Wales. This one that I, I've kept hold of is a, is a coconut-based product. But what I would fully agree with you there, Phil, um, for me, it's the sleep that I notice the benefits. Um, I've, I've take, I would take it in the morning if if that didn't make the bottle last half as long. But it just it takes the edge off the anxiety. But when I when I am using it regularly, the sleep benefits of it are fantastic. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't get you high, and you won't get addicted. So yeah. it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. No, cool. Anybody else out there that's listening that wants to sell their thing? We are we are prostitutes to the uh, to the advertising game and just get in touch and we'll be very happy to uh, talk about your products. Yeah. Woolly uh, hat we like because winter's coming. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's uh, let's get serious. Um, so let's remind people because it has been a few uh, a little while since we last spoke. Um, so our last episode, we talked about your your days in hospital, you had been uh, admitted to uh, QEQM, which is uh, the hospital in Margate, and you had been quite profoundly unwell, physically unwell, um, not very safe in your own company. And you got admitted uh, after kind of quite a lot of vomiting with with obvious kind of blood in there. Um, and this was the rock bottom. This is the, the point at which you admitted your addiction. Um, and brought those close to you in on on that secret, really. And so we talked quite a lot about the impact that had on relationships um, and uh, kind of the immediacy of of that revelation, how that how that felt for you. Um, there was no, <laughs> understandably, there wasn't a great recollection from you in terms of timescales and things that were going on at that but there was a I thought it was a really telling episode and I think it was kind of both informative but frightening about how quickly things spiraled out of control for you um yeah okay anything you want to add to that um we've had a good few days of reflection on that anything that you want to just no, add? Uh, well a couple of points um if you listen to the audio podcast, I, I put a little interlude in that one just to explain because going in the discussion of me and you discussed sort of my dad's reaction uh, and, and sort of thoughts. And I I sort of suggested that he wasn't overly impressed with me. Uh, and that was uh, probably not unfair because I, I was guessing a little bit. But, but to put the record straight... For people watching this, they may not have picked it up on the uh, on the on the YouTube video. I just added a bit of text on the video, but it was my dad. His his reaction. He's not very good at dealing with things like that. And his reaction was he was he was very upset with himself because he was he was shocked like everyone. But but I guess being my dad, he was so amazed that he hadn't picked up on anything himself, or he'd been he'd been hoodwinked by me as 
everyone had. Uh, but he he was he was so surprised, and you know he was just really upset that that it had got to the point it had with me. You know, I guess as any parent would, they they look back and think, why didn't I step in and help? He couldn't have because I I wasn't ready then. But just that's just to put that to bed in this episode. Um, but no, um, we used the word you know rock bottom. That that was my rock bottom. And we used the word scary, or I used the word scared, scary a few times in the last episode, because that's what it was. Um, as, we'll, as we'll discuss now, we sort of get over that. But um, the coming few sort of days were obviously still very scary. Uh, and in sobriety, uh, we'll discuss it shortly, I began to realise just how close I'd got to not necessarily dying, uh, potentially worse, having to live with serious life changing. You know, I could have potentially been on the waiting list for, you know, a new liver or something, couldn't I? And all the very nasty consequences that that would have brought to me and, you know, those closest to me, that that would have had a a huge knock-on effect to to my day-to-day life, I'm sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so... um... So let's pick up almost exactly where we left off then. It's um, we've got to Christmas Eve um, and you have seen your uh, the consultant in charge or you've seen the, 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 the doctors, the medical team looking after you. And they said, Stu, you can go home today. Yeah. Relief or was there some anxiety or trepidation around kind of, oh, they're letting me go? Uh, no, massive relief. Um, probably possibly the fact that Christmas was the next day and I had a, you know, a young daughter um, and I wanted to get home. It may, it may, um, but I had, begun, I had grown almost comfortable in hospital. You know, I, I was, let's be honest, I was enjoying some of the drugs they were giving me. I was, you know, perhaps that's a bit of the addict talking again, but um, I'd made some, some, some friends actually in the beds around me. I'd been on a ward with two guys for the last three days and become quite you know friendly with them and uh and i was you know i was in my head i was committed to sobriety and and recovery and obviously that was very easy in hospital right there was nowhere to get a beer my food was brought to me my medication that relieved the anxiety was brought to me uh yeah so the thought of going home was was I'd say probably 80% positive, but yeah, there would have been that 20% thinking, let's not go home and bugger this up. And also how, what was obviously nagging away is how are, how, how is everybody going to react to me when I get out, you know, when I start having to see people. So that's the sort of, that's where I was in my head. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll come on to kind of, friends and meeting up with people in the immediate aftermath i think i think you're right it sounds like um hospital was a safe place and while your commitment was very much real it hadn't been tested while you're in hospital so i I guess yeah i completely understand that there would have been a um a yeah anxiety reluctance maybe something some you know just an element of concern really about how it was actually going to go being kind of set free i kind of wondered about um so getting home and you see on and you know a lot of people's reference points uh, as ignorant as i am um, in asking this question but the reference point around um 
was there anything symbolic or ceremonial in terms of, you know, all the beers and everything out the out the cupboards and the fridge and it's all going down the sink and there's kind of like EastEnders music in the background and was there any of that sort of kind of yeah symbolism is probably the right word like I've had my last drink and it's all going down the sink uh no Phil Mitchell had what already a disappointment. <laughs> no actually um no uh we saw Phil Mitchell as we left hospital but um no uh, my wife had removed uh all alcohol actually every last drop uh, not that we had a huge you know uh if you'd come to my house sort of even when i was drinking there'd have been cans of lager and cider in the fridge and a few bottles of wine but we don't have a, a a spirit cabinet or anything you know the only spirits in the house would have been the sherry for the christmas cake that i had been drinking sadly and the um my hidden stash of vodka so no everything anything alcoholic had been moved to my in-laws my wife's parents um at some point in over the seven days so so there was nothing in the house when we, we got home about seven o'clock christmas eve um there was nothing nothing in the house but yeah so had you um had you divulged where the hidden stash was and that had been removed as well or was there stuff lying around that just but well do you know as it worked out i'd pretty much that day i went to hospital i it would have been a resupply day so to speak so i would have, I, I i had about half a bottle of vodka stashed uh that i'd been trying to get into me every time my mum was out or for that day uh and i had nothing else hidden because uh, i was due to do a shop run that day um, so the vodka was there may have been a trace element left in the in the cycling bottle where it was hidden but um but no uh so i had told or told my wife you know where i used to stash things but there was nothing there i'm still uh, i've even four nearly four years on i'm still expecting to find the odd thing but i never have um and we've sort of rearranged the whole house with the extension so i i Funnily, I don't think I ever, everything I ever had stashed got drunk, so I was an efficient alcoholic, you might like to say. <laughs> okay, and I guess that's kind of quite good. Um, I mean, I actually think that's it, fortunate, um, really, that you've not, in that, in that period of recovery, in the, you know, I guess when you might be most tempted that you you stumble across a, a, a rogue bottle that hadn't been found uh that's a good thing that has not happened yeah yeah and then yeah I, I like i say i i really was surprised in the sort of the year afterwards that i didn't stumble across something because you know i i've always stashed stuff you know i used to stash 20 pound notes for, for for no other reason than just to you know for something to do uh, and i used to have the odd cash of um, alcohol, not hugely, but I thought I'd come across, or at least an empty bottle that I hid away. I never even come across an empty bottle. So again, efficiency was obviously the key. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so then Christmas Eve, you get home seven o'clock. Are you just straight to bed, or are you? Up? Um, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been up long. Um, me and my wife would have uh, had a chat but you know we'd have also chatted about the the nitty-gritty in the seven days i was in hospital um 
so uh, nothing stands out at me. I still had these, you know, funny little or horrible ulcers and stuff in my mouth. So it wasn't even a case of coming home and having a sort of a proper decent feed because we'd been in the hospital food, which actually wasn't that bad, to be fair. Um, but no, I, I can't remember all that much, mate. Uh, nothing, nothing stands out. It would have been a fairly early night. Uh, and the start of what was probably a few months of glorious sleep patterns compared to what I'd been experiencing for probably the last 15 years. Okay. So what did, um, what would, so you wake up Christmas day, what is it, had, had you had plans that were then changed or was everything shut down or did you have plans and go through with them or did you just shut the doors and the windows and just keep the outside world outside and just kind of get through what is, you know, famously a kind of a period of joy and kind of happy clappy and um you, yeah uh, it's also yeah, the opposite to, people as well yeah it used to be cider for breakfast for me uh, well not for breakfast but i always used to have a bit of a ceremonial cider when i made the sort of mid-morning canapes if, if we were hosted or that we t- no um, to, to answer your question phil christmas was planned at my in-laws um my wife's brother was down visiting. They, they'd arrived possibly the 23rd uh, with their three children. Um, so we just ran with that plan. Um, and we'd have got over there fairly early. Um, and there was, there was a fair few people in the house. So there would have been us three, two in-laws five of them plus so there'd have been another six of them so you know there's a fairly busy house but uh, like i said to you off air that probably helped because you know four kids the eldest one would have been six that christmas uh so it was a busy noisy house um and there was no alcohol really until we sat down for dinner and no one went bonkers there was no shots of tequila uh, or anything going on um and it 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 passed like a fairly normal Christmas day, which it was for everyone else. Uh, I'd obviously just come out of a pretty tricky situation, but we didn't not discuss the, my situation, but I didn't discuss it with anyone. Um, everyone around, all the grown-ups were aware of what was going on. You know, certainly my wife's parents she'd been in discussions with them for sort of months about what, what was going on with me. Everyone was, you know, worried and trying to work out what I was up to. Um, but my wife's brother and his partner would have known, you know, they'd have been informed. Um, but we, we had a, a very pleasant Christmas, actually. Um, so I'm kind of, kind of intrigued about, um, previously, by your own admission, um, you would have to be dragged kicking and screaming to a social event. Was there any kicking and screaming for this? Or was there any kind of like, I don't, I just don't want to do it? Or was it more a case of, I can't be left alone and Mrs. Butler's going there, so I'm going? Um, I, don't remember, I don't remember being overly anxious. Um, and I, I think it was the best. Yeah, I wouldn't have been, I couldn't have been left alone. And I, you know... I wasn't going to, I guess I could have been dropped off at my parents to be basically supervised um, if I, if I really felt, but I, you know, everyone had been 
supportive in that week, um, really supportive. You know, everyone had come to see me and I'd had text messages saying, you know, well done, we can move forward now. So for me not to then turn up to Christmas dinner, I think would have been a bit of an early sort of kick in the bollocks to everyone who'd been really very supportive of me being really rather a twat. <laughs> okay. Um, so you just mentioned there was a there was alcohol at the table, and was that was there any? I don't want to delve into kind of family uh, politics or anything, but was there any disgruntlement on your point uh, on your no. part? Those people sat around having a drink, and your you're in your state and they're having that. Was there any of that with you or is it just like no. this? No, no I, d I don't think there was. And I, I don't, I'd have to ask my wife. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, 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 if I was asked if I was comfortable with it, you know, alcohol. And I, I would have said yes, because it's, you know, I, it's something I would have had to get on with. Um, and I would then rather, I would rather have not gone than people not drink. Um, but I don't remember, I don't remember any feelings of, you know, everyone's having a good time and I'm not. I mean, those feelings started to come probably two years into sobriety for me, maybe a year and a half. We'll discuss those in future podcasts. But um, that day, um, no, I, 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 I'd have been very aware of all the alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And I was probably in the back of my mind thinking everyone else is very aware that I'm very aware. <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah and everyone watching you know you're well i maybe they were maybe they weren't but i guess the paranoia would be they're watching to see whether i'm going to sneak off yeah for an ex extra long wee yeah or uh yeah just you know where's you gone yeah where's that bottle of sherry gone yeah okay um i do wonder whether um the discharge on christmas eve and in christmas day obviously the very next day whether that made the first Christmas, whether that was just helpful just to get that out of the way straight away, because the rawness of your admission and the terrifying nature of it all, like you said, you had been scared, whether that was <clears throat> helpful. I guess, I guess what I'm getting at, I think, is a lot of people through significant events, whether it's bereavement or those sorts of things, say the first of everything is the hardest, whether it's the first Christmas, first birthday, anniversary of whatever. And I guess first Christmas is is like day one. Yeah, and I I think um, had my predicament occurred sort of let's say the middle of the year June July, um, and then I was six months out. Say I'd stayed sober for the first six months, and Christmas had come along. I would imagine it would have been a lot harder because subsequent Christmases have been very hard. Last Christmas being the hardest one. Uh, I, I don't know why. Uh, Boris locked us down. That's not an excuse. But um, I, I just remember sort of chatting to both my brothers over the FaceTime and sort of the, the WhatsApp group. There was my brother in Dubai, uh, a massive nightclub, opening nightclub, having a good time. And my middle brother in Germany with, a, with a, a friend of ours was out there with him and they were having a good old sort of German booze up. And it really hit me that I didn't want to... I didn't want to physically put alcohol in my body, but I wanted to be in that social situation, enjoying a drink. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of 
three, that was pretty much three years into sobriety. And last Christmas really did knock me sideways. And uh, I was in a foul mood for two or three hours last Christmas Day. Yeah, no, I can kind of see it's not necessary. It might not necessarily have been the alcohol, but because we were all locked down, this you, you've lost your social circle and the alcohol kind of plays into that, I guess, as well. Yeah. OK. Um, and I guess moving further on as well, if I remember rightly, you're, you're a February birthday as well. Is that right? So, again, yeah, mid-February, yeah. First, so a first, a first birthday in sobriety not long after your, um, your, your discharge from hospital is, again, not a badly timed position to be in. <clears throat> yeah, we wouldn't have done anything significant. We may, I, we may have gone again, well, none of us will remember. Uh, if we did anything, it, it, it probably would have been a curry takeaway at home. I didn't go to the pub for a good six months, really. I did a few times when I had to, and stayed for an hour at the most. I just, I just didn't do it. I just avoided that situation. Yeah, yeah, okay, understandably. Um, and then from the from the podcast, uh, the the last podcast, you mentioned that um, the first AA meeting <clears throat> was booked in for Boxing Day. Yeah, so I'd, I'd been visited. Uh, by a good friend of my youngest brother's who, who'd been in or was in the program, still is, I assume, haven't texted him for a while. Uh, and he'd basically offered offered to show me the way, show me the way of the AA. It sounds like a Star Wars of the Jedi, but um, so yeah, I was booked in. He said that, that there's a really good meeting in Tankerton, a uh, busy meeting, really good meeting. It, it, it just so happens it's Boxing Day, that's just the way it fell. Um, do you want to come? And I did want to go, but me being me, I don't like travelling. I didn't want to go to Tankerton. But like we said in the previous episode, I wanted to show people um, that I was making the effort. So I made the effort. I you know, went to a seven o'clock meeting in Tankerton in December. You know, it's bloody cold and bloody dark when you get picked up. But it was a fantastic meeting, busy. Um, I just remember... Everyone, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what an AA meeting would involve. You know, you look, you, you see the movies, it's a ring of chairs in anything from a old school gym to a posh, you know, hotel. They, they, they in all settings. Um, but it wasn't a ring of chairs. It was a parish community centre um, meeting, you know, just in a room full of chairs. And there must have been 35, 40 people there. Uh, and it was a chaired meeting. I, I won't go into great detail, but AA meetings, are, they vary. You, they vary from a chaired meeting where someone shares their story to my, uh, a big book study that is a, just a study group every week. And, you know, the meetings are what they are. The mon If a Monday meeting is a chaired meeting, it's a chaired meeting every Monday at that location. And, and and if you want to go to a big book meeting, that's somewhere else. But this was a chair meeting, and the, the, the gentleman who shared his story of nigh on 30 years sobriety, that was fantastic. And everyone wanted to shake my hand. Obviously, I was I was introduced as a, as a new guy, and no one had ever seen me before, which gave that away anyway. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it was a, just a very, very positive 
And in that one hour that the meeting went on for, my initial, you know, I heard so much in the gentleman's share that just resonated with me, behaviour, types, you know. And I was just like, wow. And this room is full of, you know, people like me. And they're all smiling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I wonder whether there's, because I don't know, you know, again, my, my ignorance in this area is, is well documented uh, through our podcasts. But um, I, I do wonder whether the, the impact of the very first, you know, we always say that, um, well, they always say it, it takes seven seconds to make a good, to make a first impression, whether that's good or bad. And I think your first impression walking through that door will tell you whether you're going to get on with this or not. And I think, and then the rest, any time after those seven seconds will just confirm what you've already thought. Yeah. And I think if you're, if it's a warm welcome with people who are smiling and, um, you know, welcome you, welcoming you and ready to help you. And then you've got a, a guy as that with 30 years on the clock of sobriety it's like there's it's, it's kind of scattered with hope and some inspiration as well around this can be done it's going to it might well be hard but yeah it really can be done okay and then so did you did you share anything on that night did you introduce yourself at all or i, I can't remember um if i didn't share that night, i certainly did i went to a meeting a couple of days later more local in, in my hometown really and I definitely shared that night. I think I might have said a few words, but um, because the general format of the meeting is sort of the chair will, will, you know, use 25 to 30 minutes of the hour to share their story. And then the 20 minutes will be opened up to share and reflect on, well, anything really. Uh, and I, I can't remember if, if I said anything, um, but listening to, you know, so many people sharing their thoughts on the chair uh, and you just hear little snippets you know of so many things and it just that that reinforced um a lot of the positives you know it was that positive reinforcement for me um and it's funny because i went to a few meetings i went to so many different meetings in the first two or three months of sobriety aa meetings and i went to three that that I'd have walked out of in three minutes if they had, hadn't only been five or six of us, you know, like you just explained about, there was a few meetings I went to and almost before I've sat down, I thought this isn't going to be for me, but I'm through the door and, you know, there might be people in here as, as, as new as I am to recovery, there might still be someone in here who I can help. Even if I'm pretty sure I'm not coming back next week, I'd better hang around for this week. Um, that's interesting taking on a responsibility for not just yourself but recognizing in that moment that somebody might be relying on your smiley face to help through that session that's kind of quite a big leap isn't it from somebody in the space of a few weeks being somebody who's uh, in you know introspective in or selfish you know yeah. out, um, to somebody who's recognizing the weight of responsibility for a complete stranger yeah it's that 
it, it, I'm sure it's not just an AA thing. It'd be great if it was just a human thing. It's that element of giving back, you know, giving away what's been given to to you for nothing by others. Um, and that will sound a bit preachy. It will sound a bit straight from the big book. But, I mean, it is. I'd already learned that, you know, I I tried to adopt some practices that were, you know, within the steps. I hadn't started the 12 steps at this point. But but something my my first time, I didn't have a sponsor. But what I, I had been advised was to write a daily gratitude list, you know, wake up in the morning and, and write a short list of what you're grateful, what you were grateful for from yesterday and what you hope to be grateful for today. But what I had picked up, yeah, very early on, and it, it did resonate with me because I think I like to think I've got a half decent heart when I'm sober and my, my brain's all right. And that theory of, you know, yes, I might not enjoy this hour. I might not be in the best of moods, but I could be of, you know, me just being here might be enough to keep that someone else in the room. Because the minute I leave the room, if someone else is a bit 50-50 sitting on the fence and they follow me and walk around the corner and have a drink, you know, I would never know because I've gone. But uh, I'd certainly started to pick up some some things and that was all through AA. You know, I could have read it in a book that wasn't about AA, I'm sure, but I wouldn't have because I wouldn't have read the book. Um, yeah. Okay, so... Go ahead, go ahead, sir. No, I was just going to say. So that was a very, that was already a very positive, you know, positive thing that I'd picked up from those very early AA meetings. Okay. Uh, and how many meetings do you think you went to in that kind of that first week, maybe first two weeks? Uh, the first, well, I start. Let's say in the first three months, I used to go to, I used to go to that Tankton one every couple of weeks. Uh, and I used to do three local ones, sometimes a fourth. So I, I used to do three in Deal, uh, a Sunday one that was what we'd have called my home group. Uh, and then I used to do a Tuesday and a Thursday. And then they got a bit funny. So I started doing a Sunday and Deal. And then I started doing Monday and Wednesday in Dover. That was a much better. That was another chair. Um, I'd gone to a couple of study groups um that, that i didn't get on with but the chaired meetings i, I found really helpful uh, yeah. and there was two of those in the same location in dover and being where i'm in kingsdown it's you know 10 minute drive um so i was attending i was attending three every week for for a period of six to eight months sometimes four all in the evenings okay so do you when you said that you'd gone to a couple and they'd got a bit funny do you mind was they do you mind if I ask why they were a bit funny? <laughs> one of them, one of them, the, the the guy who was, I don't know what they call him. He was basically, you know, he was just in charge of that meeting. You know, you, in service, you can do service by acting as the, the meeting coordinator. You can make the cups of coffee, put the chairs out. You know, there's designated positions, obviously. The top position being the responsible one who, who organises the meeting. And then he has a secretary. But he, he I hadn't been... I'd been in one meeting two minutes and the guy wanted to exchange numbers, which I was always a bit wary of. I don't know why, because it's the thing to do. Um, again, I should have, shouldn't have been thinking about myself really. I should have been thinking about others, but he wanted, he, you know, he was just too, he was just too nice. 
he wanted to take me for curry the minute the meeting finished. He wanted to do this. He, wanted to, he phoned me every day for six days, and I just never went. He was, he was trying to, he was trying to do what he thought AA was to him. Yeah. Uh, and then the other meeting, um, a woman kept turning up drunk, which wasn't a problem to me actually because I, I thought that was going to happen in quite a few meetings. That's what AA is for. But the host of that meeting just didn't do it. They, they just used to have stand-up shouting matches. And after the third week of that, I just thought my time will be, you know, this is of no benefit to it. It wasn't being selfish. I was just like, this is of no benefit to anyone. So yeah. I, 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 I then asked around and got pointed in the direction of the, the, the Monday meeting in Dover, which was fantastic. Very similar to the Tankerton meeting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I yeah, like we say, you've kind of there. There is a flip for you in terms of um, having an outward responsibility, but you do still have to balance that with a hefty uh, kind of level of selfishness because you're trying to get yourself into a position to live a long life. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And what? Uh, and yeah. that will be uh, with any form of recovery, uh, be it gambling, alcohol, drugs, or whatever, um, if you attend any of these meetings, one of the first things that is drilled into you is that you must be here for yourself first. You know, I I was at an AA meeting in my head. I thought I'm going because, you know, I want to make amends to my wife and my daughter and my parents and my friends, and I will get some great benefits from it myself. Um but it was very soon drilled into me that, you know, I needed to get sober for me first. And if I could get sober for me and into recovery for me, then everyone around me will benefit from that. You know, if and, and they, they were almost at the point of saying, if you're here for someone else, there's not much point because it won't work in the long run. You know, don't be here because you've been sent here. Oh, that's really interesting. But yeah, I, you see, it don't clearly makes clearly makes sense. The commitment's got to be binding yeah. for you, hasn't it? Okay, so I, we do intend to do um, a, a, an episode or a couple of episodes talking about AA, just because you talked about black books, so the big book, even or you know, those... it's a blue book. Yeah, the big book. It's blue, but yeah. Okay. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Go through and explain some of that um, uh, in another episode. Um, and, and get stuck into it. The frequency in those first couple of weeks and months of your your attendance is that the recommended thing, or is that just something that you like? Actually, this is doing me good, so I'm going to go. Uh, well, I mean, the hardcore recommendation for AA is if you are, you know, is to do 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, that is what they would recommend. It's it's not possible. Uh, anything is possible, but I mean, if you're in a position where you know, I was in, I heard very vivid stories of people who, you know, would literally had to, re you know, they talk about if, you know, one day at a time, if you don't drink today, you can't get drunk and just stay sober today. There were, there were people in these meetings who had lived periods of their life where they were going one second at a time, five seconds at a time, you know, through their addiction. I, I must've been at that point, during my active addiction because I couldn't stop drinking. But in recovery, um, there was, you know, 
those rooms to, to people who don't have support networks, support bubbles, families who are sticking by them, you know, those rooms are the safest place. You know, a lot of them might be in sheltered accommodation with other people with similar addictions who maybe aren't battling them quite so well. So there might be the guy next door swigging on the vodka bottle, knocking on your door, offering it to you. You know, the rooms are safe for, for a lot of these people. Uh, or they're, they're safe for everyone, but yeah. So I'm just my mind has just kind of been blown a little bit, and I don't know what I was thinking in expectation of an AA meeting. Um, but for you to describe it in the way that you have during this episode is kind of busted a load of myths around it, and I think there's <clears throat> somebody was talking about the film Fight Club the other week with yeah. me. Um, and there is famously a number of ep- a number of scenes in there where um, characters turn up there, and it just seems like such a a vulnerable, dirty, emasculating kind of experience for everybody there, and they're there because they feel that they have to be rather than anything else. And you just kind of flip that on its head that it, uh, you know people were welcoming, smiley, they wanted to shake your hands, they were happy for you to be there. Um, yeah, it's just it kind of, yeah, just a safe place, a really safe place. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, I don't know why, that's what films and TV do to you, don't they? They set a picture that's not really real life and I should know better. Yeah, no, that's really useful. And like we say, we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit more in, a, in another episode. Um, during this period then, the other question that I wanted to ask was, so all those close to you, so parents, uh, siblings, um, and the in-laws and that sort of stuff. At what point did you start making it known or telling people outside your family circle? And what were their reactions like? Um, well, reactions. Well, let's uh, let's answer the first bit first. Um, pretty much straight away. You know, when I got home. Uh, once Christmas Day was done with the family, um, <clears throat> possibly Boxing Day. I don't recall what we did Boxing Day, but I, I expect it would have been family orientated again. Uh, and then I settled into a period of bed rest, really. Um, it was more sofa rest. I didn't return to work for a few weeks. But I would have, I, I would have been messaging. You know, my closest friends, I think, already knew. Possibly my, I might have even asked my brothers to tell them. Um, but people who I, I'd be putting the word out, a few people checked in with me that they'd heard that I wasn't doing so great. So those who checked in with me, I was very honest and open. Uh, a few people came to visit. Um, so to answer the second part of the question, people's reactions, amazement at my volume of vodka consumption and you know how you know quickly i guess because we'd had our daughter in the end of june you know and this was happening in december january you know we're talking january now people coming to visit so you know we wouldn't have seen all that many people anyway because we had a newborn after that you know yourself but after that initial month where Everyone comes around, and I think you said, eat your fucking biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then that drops off, and you kind of get left to find out how to be a parent. 
Um, my wife had to do a lot of that on her own, but um, they would. I wouldn't have seen it. You know, we wouldn't have been able to attend many functions that were on. You know, because we had the newborn. Yeah. Um, so it was a maybe a bit of a perfect storm again. People wouldn't have seen me because I had a newborn. So that period when they did see me six months later, I wasn't the tired new dad. I was the nearly dead alcoholic. And it was, I think, it's when you say to, you know, someone says to you, how much, how much, how much were you drinking at your worst? And you say, like, well, for the last eight months, I was drinking a litre of vodka on top of four cans of cider. And if there was a half bottle of red wine in the cupboard that I thought my wife had forgotten about, that would get drunk first. And, you know, if, if, um, some, you know, if it was a, a bottle of wine, it was Christmas at work, you know, I'd have 10 of them and blah, blah, blah. And they were just amazed, really. I mean, everyone knew I liked to drink and everyone knew I could have a can of Stella in the morning, you know, when we used to go for breakfast on the pier, I'd be the idiot drinking Stella with breakfast. But they were still amazed um, and sad, you know. And and the, the reaction was, you know, we wish we could have helped, which which used to hurt me because... So many people tried to help me. We've said it, you know, and I just had to say to everyone, you know, my best friend, Cookie, he said, I thought he had his suspicions. And I said, yeah, but if you'd have phoned me up, Cookie, and said, I know you're drinking too much, Stu, and I want you to stop. I'm coming down and we're going to sort this out. I'd have just palmed him off. I'd have popped him off and said the phone call would have been wasted on me, mate. There was nothing anyone could have done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I, I guess interesting, like fast forwarding, like a good number of years, you started then, like you, there was nothing on social media from you for quite some time. No. All of a sudden, kind of, um, you've decided that you're going to start kind of diarising and sharing your experience, which then I guess brought quite a few other people like me into into kind of the discussion around. Didn't even know, you know, we'd been kind of distant acquaintances for a, yeah. a number of years and then um all of a sudden you kind of yeah you just don't know what's going on behind closed doors do you really no i mean pl- plenty of people you know i started the blog on the first of january this year 2021 but um plenty of people knew you know everyone local knew i knows i'm a recovering alcoholic uh and if you if you follow my Twitter back probably in the last couple of years, there might have been the odd retweet from me with regards. I might have retweeted something about recovery or alcoholism, but I I, I, I wouldn't have been involved in any online discussions. Um, anyone anyone who'd asked, I would happy to tell them, you know, when I was regularly attending AA. But I didn't, I didn't seek out, or I didn't use my social media to promote my recovery up until this year, really, no. Yeah, okay. Okay, and I think one of the questions, the final question, because we've we've kind of hit hit time, was um, it sounds. So I was going to ask if in this early period whether there are any temptations, but it feels like actually the determination and the focus with AA and the family around you is probably and the freshness of the experience with hospital. There probably wasn't. Is that fair? Yeah, hundred percent fair. And I'll use the word scared again. I was still scared of because my mind was it was still hazy with anxiety but it was a lot less hazy than being pissed all the time i was so aware 
now of what I could have done to some of my internal organs. And my my little daughter as well, you know, my wife, uh, we've said before, my wife was a huge concern, you know, and I love and cherish her and I want to, but she can look after herself. If I'd have dropped down dead, she would have carried on and she'd have looked up, but I was now so aware that I'd nearly left my little six-month-old child without a dad. Yeah. Uh, and I, I had a chance to be a half-decent one now because I'd not been the best one for the first bit. You know, I, I'm smiling, I'm putting a brave face on it because you don't want to cry on the video, do you? But that was, um, that was that's, that's what hit home. Had I been, I've said again, I don't know if we've said it on this podcast, had I been a single man in 2017, I'd have still ended up in hospital, but I'm pretty damn sure I'd have gone out, I'd have... I'm, I'd still be in recovery, but I'd have had the odd hiccup. I'd have I'd have had a drink again. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, seems like a good place to stop for uh, for now. Um, and I think we'll start focusing our attention really on <clears throat> kind of the first six months or three months, six months, nine months, those sorts of things as we move into the next next episodes. Because I guess there will be. Um, we, we've used the uh, the analogy quite quite often before, but a bit of a roller coaster because it won't all be easy, fully determined, fully committed, no temptations. And I guess that um, we can start unpicking and delving into some of those as well. So, um, but yeah, as for tonight, thank you very much for for kind of enlightening me and busting some myths. Let's uh, give a little uh, shout again to the golfer's CBD oil. Don't uh, forget. Um... And check out Hit Elliot up again. This is my personal favourite, the Pineapple Ghost. It's bloody lethal, but go to the website. It will be around here somewhere when you watch on YouTube. Have, so, have a check that out. Elliot Eastwick's... Uh, World famous hot sauce. Hot sauce, that's it. Okay, so anyone who's got any questions or anything or anything that they want us to cover as well as we move into that, this next phase, it's uh, hwomthepod at gmail.com. Uh, I remembered that time or at Stu Butts on Twitter. Um, but yeah, no, it's good, been good catching up. It's felt like a long time. Um, so glad we were able to do that. And uh, I will catch you on the next one, Stu. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Brilliant.